All right, three, two, one, go. So here's today's bottom line before I get started with the main event. So based on reading 2 Timothy chapters 1, verses 6 to 7, along with 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, and Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, you see it's concluded that the boldness of Christians, rather the nature or the nature of Christian boldness, is simply described as being able to continue a life of obedience even in intimidating circumstances. And now for the rest of it, boldness is one of those things that seems to be lacking in the mainstream Christian community. I'm not saying that bold Christians do not exist. What I'm saying is that as the wider world moves further away from God, it seems to get harder to find any form of uncompromising Christian influence. With the appropriately named cancel culture being a prevalent thing on the internet, it's easy to understand why those who have a big platform online and use it as a vast source of their income are very fearful about going against the narrative the tech companies are supporting. Tech companies. Man, I'm not speaking correctly today again. Now going back to why now going back to the script. College campuses are one of those places that do get a bad reputation, since there are some unsavory individuals there who are also highly active for their comparatively small size as an organization. But it's just enough to cause regular people to feel afraid. That's why we're covering the subject that will remain an ever-relevant subject in a world that is continually to be the place of spiritual, of spiritual battle being physically manifest. So just as about with any subject, it's easier to analyze things by asking a question and finding the answer to that question. I know this is a side note, but it's also important to ask the right question. We can get the correct answer to the question, but if it is the wrong question, it doesn't exactly help us with the situation. Due to this, I'm focusing in on the question of why. Primarily, why are we intimidated? Not so much to ask the question of what intimidates us, but rather, what is the reason for wanting us to be intimidated? See, we gotta go deeper in the questions that we ask to get the good answer. So let's look at intimidation as a tactic. And as a tactic, it's used to suppress a person or a group of persons' actions in the way of winning a fight before you actually have to fight it. When you look at nature, many of the animals that exist are okay. But I'm gonna say one quick thing. So, humans do not technically qualify as animals biblically, but biologists classify us as being in the group of animalia. But anyways, going back to what I was saying about many different creatures, if you look in nature, their primary defense is to scare off the threat and make themselves look bigger than they are. A classic example is when a bear stands up on their hind legs and roars at you. Even if it could win a fight, if it fought you, it's still a better use of resources to simply not have the fight to begin with. Which is why it gets up on its hind legs, makes a big roar, waves its paws, and you go running away. So, that may not be the best option to do with the bear, but let's like a sidetrack. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 provide a bit of insight into this situation from the spiritual angle. And I just want to give a quick bit of information about this actual letter. 
but this is the last one that Paul ever writes before his execution. And in it, he is giving instructions to Timothy, who has been with Paul for a long time as a student. As Paul writes this, he knows that he's going to be executed at any moment now, which I believe is why he made sure to include these verses in the letter. And reading in verse in verse 6 through 7 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gifts of God which is in you through the laying of my hands, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power of love and self-discipline. So, looking at this verse, we see that Satan can get a benefit from intimidating us. In addition, in addition to keeping us from being active members of harvest, our supernatural gifts from God get hindered, or at the very least, is like a muscle that never gets used and atrophies over time, to the point where we have been so unwilling to use it that God simply removes it from us if we don't come to him asking to be restored and strengthened again for service to him. I know some of you may say that I'm wrong in declaring God will remove his gift from somebody, but look at the parable of the talents and the master that gave his parables to people who were parables. I'm getting my uh, I'm getting my words mixed up on this script. So let's start that again. The master in that parable took away the one talent from the servant who didn't use it and gave it to the one who had the best steward for that he had been already given. And keep that in mind. We are stewards of what we have. We don't own it, we're just giving it to use the best we can with it. Now when you read in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit manifested itself as fire, among other physical manifestations. And when we read out of Timothy, we see that Paul is working on the imagery of a strong fire that needs to be maintained. And this is a fact that they would understand intrinsically, since fire is the primary heat source they had at that time. It's the way they cook food and all those many things that we need heat for. And so, since I've been cam I've been camping a couple of times, and plus I like just building a fire in a fire pit when you have that option. Sorry, I'm just going to grab a drink here because it's getting scratched out of my throat recording these. And as we talk about campfires and building fires in the fire pit, is you need to properly maintain the fire else it will die and go out just because if they get maintained and kept going. So for when you look at this analogy of Christian gifting as in the gifts that were given by God, the answer is that we need to actively use those gifts in service to God. If you've read my Valentine's Day special, I believe I mentioned in that one that writing was what I started in 2016 after prompting from the Lord. Writing it was the gifts that he had given me and then chose to activate. But it had begun to manifest itself in my late high school years, roughly 2016-2018. I just never knew exactly what it was for since I had begun writing short things that could be comparable to letters to an unknown recipient, sort of like these blogs are at the moment. And I did not know that I was being prepared for this, but I was just using what God had given me at that time. And now, as I write this, I'm reminded of what's written in John Bevere's book, X, which, is, which has the subtitle of Multiply Your God-Given Potential. And specifically, in this section, I believe it's important that we remind ourselves 
that we do not want to let our talents be wasted through disuse like the servant in the parable of the talent. Some of you may have questions about gifts, which is why I'm going to say that when God provides Christians with gifts, it does so to empower them for good works and life, that to grow the kingdom of heaven on earth. This includes gifts that we originally had and those we didn't have but God gives us. In that book, John Bevere explains how he had only met one other person with a reading and writing score lower than his on the SAT. Now, for my non-American audience, the SAT is the big test that kids do in high school. It's used to determine the person's aptitude for different skills like math, science, reading, and writing. The higher your score is in a certain category, the more expectation there is for you to enter into a related field. Based on Jess's SAT score, John Bevere should not be writing all these books, but God decided that he was going to use John Bevere to write those books. There's one purpose and one purpose only. Because he had John Bevere be the chosen author, God would ensure that he received the glory and honor that is due him. I think I may have said something wrong in how I compared to how I wrote it, but I'm going to say that again. Just because it's so important you get this. For one purpose and one purpose only was John Bevere chosen. By having John Bevere be the author, it would ensure God received the glory and honor that is due to him. When we are working with our gifts to do the work of God, we are also granted the authority to overcome the forces that come against us. And I'm just going to go a little bit off script here and say that something I forgot to mention in writing this is that when we do them is for giving honor and glory to God. And some of the ways in which honor and glory is given to God is by overcoming great obstacles. That's where we get the authority of God to do so, to overcome them. And those obstacles, when they're overcome, are meant to praise God for it and give him the glory. Okay, I've got that little I've got that little extra part added here. So going back to why I forgot to write. Rather, we're going back to the script now that we've covered why I forgot to write. So as I was talking about the authority to overcome problems, one thing that's also important to remember is that we are not immune to our own mistakes when we make them. Those will be stumbling those will be stumbling blocks that teach us painful and or expensive lessons that we won't easily forget. Rather, we shouldn't forget them easily. If we do, we've got other issues, but we don't have time to talk about them. Now, when Satan sends his forces against us, we have the authority to rebuke them, and to stand strong, so long as we remain with God. He is our only source, and that authority only comes by following the orders that he has given, and not by doing, and by not doing something else. Paul continues on in his letter to Timothy, playing it this way. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Now that we have the reasons for intimidation established, I want to go over some of the tactics for intimidation that exist in real life. So one common tactic is to make you doubt yourself and your calling makes you hesitate to speak with power and authority as you ought to when God calls you to speak. In those times, we should not be afraid or let those doubts have power over us we are to take every thought captive. Having self-control over both our actions and thoughts to determine 
who has the final say in our thinking is one of the ways to counter doubt. That this is something that we cannot do in our own strength. That is another trap of the enemy, since it removes us from the ability to carry on seemingly indefinitely. Jesus made it clear to us in no uncertain terms that without him we can do nothing as he declares to his disciples in Gethsemane in John chapter 15. Because of this, it is important that we learn to make an effort to live in constant contact with our Creator and power source. If we only ate once or twice a week, we would be unable to do much if anything at all for a long time. I know that there are individuals who have lasted for a while without food, but they were not exactly trying to fight in a war or complete a construction project. Christians are spiritually meant to be active in our world, which is a spiritual war on a daily basis. Some of us are building entrenchments, and others are busy running into the line of fire to get civilians out of danger, while others are still doing triage work. Okay, don't get caught up in the analogies, but focus on the main message here. Boldness comes by knowing whom we walk with. Look at the heroes of the faith. Daniel and his friends. Then we have Peter, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all the other martyrs of our faith. They endured like Paul who had gone through more than anyone else alive at his time, if I'm correct in my understanding, and he had these things to say about his sufferings, and by extension, about our suffering and suffering in general. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, he says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured in, out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I bring up the subject of suffering because many of us are afraid. Many of us are afraid of going through hardship as a result of obedience to God. In our Western world, we don't have to worry about much when we compare it to other places. A bit of disagreement and being looked at as divisive is a small price to pay for sowing the seed that God has given us to sow. Learn to see the suffering as a test of your endurance. Paul speaks of it as being for us. Here's the thing about people who are fearless. They are an encouragement to the people around them, and even a bit intimidating to their enemy. Satan knows that he cannot win, and that is why he seeks to make us afraid of acting in accordance with the commands of God and standing up for what is true. My prayer is that God will deliver each and every one of you who read this or listen to this from fear, to be set free from what makes you afraid to speak the truth, where pressure exists for you to keep quiet and to go along with the crowd. That is my prayer for all of you. In Jesus' name, amen.